Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer's got a brand new show out now about NFL player Cam Newton called The Cam Chronicles. We'll be releasing new episodes every Monday for the next six weeks, but you can binge all six episodes right now for free on Spotify. Here's a quick trailer. From The Ringer, I'm Tyler Tons, host of the new podcast series, The Cam Chronicles. NFL star Cam Newton has always been a complex figure. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. The Ringer NFL Show presents Cam Chronicles. Listen to the full series now on Spotify. What is it, Lamar? Now we got time. You killed my man? Nah, he rested. I'm saying, ain't you want to know? Not particularly. About a year ago, a boy named Brandon got got here in Baltimore. Stuck and burned before he passed. The game is the game. Indeed. See, that boy was beautiful. Dreams, Bad Dreams. That is the mm. name of episode 11, season two here of The Wire. And we are getting down to business. Holy shit, we're getting down to business right now. I'm excited. Um, yeah. Not excited that the season is coming to a close, but excited. This is always, to me, the, the, the best part of the seasons in The Wire. It's like those last four or five episodes because the buildup is just so much. And then you finally get to... Uh, you know, the payoffs, the nitty gritty happening. It kind of reminds me of the end of the Godfather movies, right? Like how yeah. the montage, how everything just starts to happen. You're like, oh shit, they got smoked. Oh shit, that's what happened to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just, it's, it's, the, it's the climax. We're getting, we're starting the climax of season two. So, Bad Dreams, man, what takeaways did you have for this one? This is the episode where it all falls down. You know, it typically the second. Was that a, um, was that a the, Kanye West reference or? Oh Jesus Christ! Soon? Can I can we not do Kanye? We gotta do. It's a Lauren Hill reference. <laughs> okay. okay, all right. Just wondering. Uh this is a, a, in the last episode we saw the cracks, um, and in this one the dam is broken, obviously, and it's kind of sort of indicative of what we see in the second to last episode of Wire seasons, typically. Um, the second to last episode is normally the episode that's the most sort of uh, eventful. And then the last episode is normally catching its breath after them. That's the thing that they do in a while. But this one uh, is kind of that for me. It, In a lot of ways, it's there's a frantic pace to it. Every single scene um, is somebody struggling to make sense out of something that's just crumbled. Nikki. His life as a dope kingpin was so short. It was, it, 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 you know, he didn't even make it a full season. It's like he, he had a couple cool, a couple season. good games, and that was it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. He is the Jeremy Lin of <laughs> he like he's a Jeremy. He had one good run where he torched everybody. Everybody was brought by all the merchandise. It's like Lin right. Sanity, <laughs> Lin Sanity, and then all of a sudden. Uh, the detail came in like Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. who was like, "Give me them cookies, boy." Uh, but but yeah. So 
you know, it, you kind of see that a lot. You see it in the case of, uh, of obviously, Frank Sabaka. You see it in case with the Greeks, but with, with the Greek, but not as much. The Greek manages while everything else is falling apart. The Greek Stavros they manage to maintain calm and control. Even in this, we even see some cracks in in the um in the police's uh, uh sort of thing. And this is a this is a more res- almost a more resounding victory for the detail than actually even happened in the first season. You think so? Uh, oh, okay. I That's I actually think that I actually think that this is because they had a multi front victory here. Mm. They were able to they're going to clear the fourteen girls, not all the way in this episode, but they're going to clear the fourteen girls. Every Basically, every target they're going to hit except for the Greek, yeah, which was a target that came a little bit late. We, we will, you know, I'm going to mark that down because I think um, when we do the season two wrap up, uh, we can have a couple like, you know, bigger, big picture arguments. But that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good debate. Was the details case was the major case units season two case better than the, than the one they made in season one? That's it. Yeah, I, that's interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I, I think, I think that they are uh, in. I think in the first season they sort of muted their target. In the second season, they kind of eliminated him, even though it wasn't them that eliminated him totally. They actually was were able to fold Sabatka in to the ranks, like they completely scored a victory over him. Whereas Avon, they kind of just put a pause on him. Like they, they, it was almost like a thing, and it was still kind of anyway. They completely broke down everything that Frank was doing, and, and, uh, so, and it was more wide-reaching in season two because we're right. just certainly dealing with an international kind mm-hmm. of ring that's happening. We're dealing with um, multiple types of criminal organizations. You have, you know, sex trafficking, you have the drug parts, and you have uh, stolen goods. So you have three much bigger, you know, kind of targets in addition to the drugs. I thought the one the interesting thing about this is while everything else is falling down, while the infrastructure at the Union uh, is falling down at the port, um, while the Greeks organization, you know, even have to change uh, meeting places that they use, all of that stuff is falling down. The one thing that comes together in this episode that had never come together at any point is Frank and Ziggy Sabaka. Uh, they're going to have a discussion in this, and we're going to talk about this in Best Scenes. Um, that uh, that really is the first time they they. It seems like they ever actually saw each other in a long, long time. So, I, I that that was kind of the takeaway for me. Um, if I had to sum up this whole episode, it would be a day late and a dollar short. Because even though they wrap okay. up some things, um, you know, and and again, I, I do. This was so intentional of David Simon. Is like he wanted to show you the hopelessness and the futility of what all of this, all of this is. All these institutions are. I, so the detail, they get a lot of things that they figure out, but they can't figure out the Greek. You know, it's like they're, there's, mm. they're always, they seem to be playing from behind just a little bit, a little bit of a right. step behind, uh, which Landsman had a lot to do with. Right. And so God damn, I know Landsman. just a, just a fuck up. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's one of the biggest fuck ups in this whole, uh, yeah. in this whole series is, is what he did. So it was just that sense of like close, but not quite close enough. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, the reckoning has definitely come for the Sabakas. It, it is right. completely uh, come for them. And 
they were in a way is 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 expected, but it's also unsatisfactory be, because they're they're the low people on this totem pole. And and I guess that that's the the larger point that I was always trying to make is that the power players, the institutions always stay stable. It's everybody else that pays. And the mm. Sabakas are an example of they were the sacrificial lambs in all of this. You know, their ambitions were used against them. Their um, desire to, uh, you know, Frank's desire to save the union, to give people a livelihood that they could believe in, that they could trust, that their kids and their kids' kids could do for generations and generations. That belief in that institution, that American ideal is ultimately what killed this entire family, is the belief yeah. in the American ideal um, and the belief not just in the American ideal, but the working class American ideal, because I think the whole point of season two is for Simon to show us about how uh, things being built, manufacturing in America has completely crashed. So that was another, um, you know, big part of, uh, of all of this. Uh, and you see, even as you said, with the detail, with all the damage that they did to the Barksdales, they haven't completely eliminated them. And we are, they, they have not. And we are getting, uh, a lot of file this aways, a lot of nuggets being planted that lead us smoothly and seamlessly into season three. Much more, it will be much more of a seamless transition from two to three than it was from one to two because of, of mm. what happens in these last three or four episodes of season two. All right, with all that being said, let's recap what happened in Bad Dreams, episode 11. Um, so, as I mentioned, detail, just a day late and a dollar short on everything. They raid Nikki's house. Double G's business, White Mike's house, Eton, mm -hmm. Sergey, aka Boris, aka White Wee Bay, Frank Sabaka's union office. They get all, they raid everything, only to discover their targets have removed all evidence. <laughs> because, right. Because Landsman royally fucks up big time, doesn't connect the dots. Like, like this is what blows my mind about this. And I don't know, there's part of me that flirted with, is this a we love this show, but because Sabaka is not Smith as a name. Right? It's not right. Smith. All right? right? You hear Sabaka. Hey, it's only one Sabaka y'all been chasing. So right. hearing the name Ziggy Sabaka didn't ring off any bells with Landsman, just like nothing. See, and I thought about that too. How much does Landsman know about what's going on in the major crimes detail? Well, considering he's got his head so far up Rawls' ass all the time, you would think he would know enough yeah. Right, you would think you would. He lost. Yeah. Look, he he had to lend out. And Daniel's react. Daniel's reaction to it certainly suggests that he should have known. Let me ask you, who exactly am I working all these dead girls for? The homicide unit, right? The same homicide unit that can't put two and two together and pick up a phone, leaving me to read it a day and a half later in the Baltimore Sun. Outdated ass nudie magazines that you. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, he doesn't connect the dots. Ziggy uh, and doesn't realize that Ziggy Sabaka, who he has kindly treated to a five course meal in the interrogation room in the previous episode, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. related to the same major case the detail has been chasing that involves the rest of the family, which causes a significant and critical delay uh, and a wrench in the details larger case. Um, the details now is kind of turning their sights on Bondus, uh, but comes short of identifying the Greek who slips past them twice and they don't even notice, right? right. So Kima mm -hmm. loses it and they're chasing the, the other dude in the suit and tie that's next to Vondas thinking he's the Greek. It's not him. It's the old guy, the unassuming guy who's on his Kaiser Sose shit. You never see him coming, right? right? right. Um, uh, the Sabakas, they're in 
serious uh, trouble. Ziggy's in jail. Um, you know, the Greeks uh, initially supply a way out or you think they're supplying a way out to the Sabaka family. They're dangling the fact that they can help Ziggy out. They're trying to buy Nikki's loyalty, trying to really just lure them in. And then Frank walks off into the great abyss and there is nothing. <laughs> yes. Frank, Frank, it, like, oh, so the wire gets you so much, man. <laughs> that whole situation, you're thinking maybe Frank and Nikki are going to escape this. But no. timing is such an, a key thing to every plot that happens here. He made this decision to snitch just as they were going to give him a reason not to. And and think about the ramifications there. So when Sabaka decides to turn to, to turn his snitch to the cops, you go, you take a 0 for 3 right there. That's a three-point swing, okay? Because him, Nikki, and Ziggy were going to be okay. Him, Nikki, and Ziggy were going to be okay. And because he made that decision, none of them are okay. And by the way, let me point something out by that, okay? I don't know anyone in the history of The Wire that has benefited from snitching. Now, you could argue Bubbles, but that's different. But that's different, though. It, Bubbles is a confident... Bubble, Bubbles is a CI. He's an informant. That's totally different. He's an informant. He is an informant, Right. He is a, an informant for the cops. He exists on the streets. And they don't need whatever. him to testify to really. They don't to... need him to testify. Mm -hmm. Like, like I would say, you could argue Omar, but he even did it for revenge. Yeah. But when I'm talking about somebody involved in something criminal, Wallace got it. D'Angelo flirted with snitching. Got it. Sabaka got it. The Wire is seemingly telling to the community that there is not much to be gained from talking to law enforcement. It, 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 they're, they're seemingly saying that, that like there's not much to be gained from cooperating. I don't think they're being subtle about it at all. I mean, I guess I, you, like, you could put this in the, your, your wire rules of not only do you die or, yeah, you not only do you die if there is food involved, okay? Mm -hmm. You also right. will definitely die if you snitch to the cops. Orlando. Mm, Orlando. Same, same Orlando. Thing. Same thing. If you snitch to the cops, you die. Now, there are a couple of examples. I, I guess you could say Chardine kind of snitched. But once again, Kinda. she's outside of the criminal shit. Right. You know and what again, I'm saying? She didn't have to testify. Like those who are those put it like this the snitches they're building their whole case on like they were building a mm -hmm. whole case on orlando and his involvement right. trying to get the barksdales they were building a whole case through the sabacas if you're if you're the the central figure of the case as the snitch you're not gonna make it you're not gonna yeah. make it yeah so it's just weird like the snitching snitching is one of the cardinal sins of the wire and sabaka had he not snitched he didn't even realize that if he had just waited a second, it was all going to work out for him. It was all now. It wasn't going to work out for him at the port, and all of that stuff was done. But his son was coming home. They had that figured out. Uh, his nephew was going to be. It was going to be back to business as usual. They would. They would. They would have beat it. But he snitched, and 
He walked into that bridge under the bridge downtown. Under the bridge, only never to be mm-hmm. seen up, never to be seen from again. Although, yeah. the um, that's part of my whole thing with a day late and a dollar short is the cops let him go. They were like, yeah. "You need a lawyer." I was like, "Oh, now y'all concerned with people's rule, with people's uh, you know, <laughs> abiding by civil uh, civil rights here. Now y'all concerned, right? How right. do you not know that? Like, maybe if we let this guy out of our sight, not that." you know, they had any reason to believe he wasn't motivated to do it. It never occurred to him. Like, you know, the people he's involved with might find out about this shit and he might be dead. Right. Never occurred right. To him. Or that he would, or that he would change his mind. Like right. that, I was watching that scene. And I was like, they just going to let him walk away and then come back, like, tomorrow, yeah, come with back lawyer. tomorrow. You know, call the lawyer. Don't let him go nowhere. Call the lawyer down there now. Jeez. Just it, it again. It, it's like the, the payoffs are there, but they're also frustrating because, you you find yourself wanting to be like, why are you guys doing this? You know, almost like right. yelling at the screen. All right. Uh, on the drug dealer side of things, <laughs> beyond the sabaka, mm. so Stringer gives Omar the proposition, which leads to a great showdown with Brother Muzon that has some unexpected results, to say mm. the least. And that's a huge um, moment that everybody should lock in on um, and we'll discuss later and file this away for later because I'm I'm sure we both probably had that um, yeah. as one of those scenes. But you you finally have Brother Muzan and Omar coming face to face at the behest of the community college mastermind known as Russell Stringer Bell. Yeah, uh, who played who who played these guys he, like a fiddle. Did he, did yeah, he play them? He did. Mm-hmm. Well, at first, uh, he kind of... He, he thought he, he did. Initially. 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 Uh-huh, he did. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, because uh, we, um, we, we told you guys, I think in some previous episodes at some point, that whenever a Wire character takes that big walk up into TV heaven, we will eulogize them and discuss how their character has impacted this series. And so when Frank goes walking toward that bridge yeah. to meet the Greeks, yeah. that is the last of Frank's. It's not the last you'll see of Frank, Frank per se, but it's the last you'll see him breathing and walking. Right. That is it. Yeah. So it, right. in the end, when it's all now that it's all sort of said and done about Frank Sabaka, what was your what how will you remember Frank Sabaka? Shockingly, just like Ziggy, hmm. as a tragic figure, um, as a tragic figure who was looking for something that he could never really find. It's amazing. Uh, and, you know, they talk about it, how much he is really like his son. Frank seemingly had everything. He was the boss at the port. He was, you know, financially, he had a little money. Came. He had a whole scheme of everything. But he was always reaching for extra. It was always something else that Frank Sabaka needed. He felt such a drive and a need to take on everybody's problems. All right. And he was going to be the reason. It was all about him. He was going to be the reason that things at the port were going to change, that things at the port were going to go back to the way they were, change uh, back to what they were like when you could sustain a family and, you know, get steady work. He was going to, you know, get the, the, the pier dredge or the grain pier or whatever up. So more boats could come through. So more guys could work. And it was going to be all about Frank Sabaka. When you think about Ziggy, a lot of the things that Ziggy was doing, we talked about this. Ziggy wasn't doing them to actually benefit himself. He was doing them 
to preserve us, not to preserve, to actually sort of create a certain perception about him. He wanted people to believe that he was some the person that he thought he was. And to me, I think Frank Sabaka was much the same way. I think Frank Sabaka cared about everything that was going on. But even in that conversation we saw with his brother, I think more than that, he was looking to validate his possession as head of the union. He was looking to validate himself to a lot of these guys. He needed this time to get this fixed because he realized that it was a problem that there weren't enough, there wasn't enough uh, money and enough hours and enough work to go around. But more than that, I think he wanted to be the guy to fix it. And the reason, and that's the reason why he was willing to do anything. His ambition and his need to be the man that fixed everything ended up corrupting him. And I think that's something, that's a huge lesson. And one of the biggest lessons in the show's history, because, you know, good intentions don't mean a fucking thing. And they say that the road to hell is paved with them. And they're right. Frank Sabaka never wanted to hurt anyone, but he ended up hurting everyone. And so when I think about him, I think about a figure who uh, never really exhibited the amount of control over himself that a leader needs to have. And that's the same problem that his son had. These guys could never exhibit the, the appropriate amount of control over themselves. Frank did a lot of things he didn't agree with. He got in bed with a lot of people that weren't like him. He did a lot of things, and he thought that the ends were going to justify the means, and the ends that he got were his own end. Naivete, naivete killed Frank Sabaka. Um, mm. And that's what makes him a tragic figure, is that he, uh, for all of his faults, he had some core beliefs that wound up being his complete undoing. He believed in the union. He believed that in this country, despite technology, despite the ever-changing workforce and the introduction of aut automation, he believed that what they were doing and what they contributed, that there will always be a need for it. And the truth is they were being phased out and he didn't want to believe it. And he wasn't willing to change. And mm. his overall belief in an American dream for not just him, but for the union workers and for his own family is why he continued to justify making some of the poor decisions that he made. He seemed, he seemed to think that you can just be a little bit dirty. He didn't really, yeah. yeah, he didn't understand that once you start doing a little bit of it, then mm -hmm. that little bit becomes more and more. And by the time, you know, he died, he was like a full-fledged criminal involved in a multi-layered some real it's shit right. international criminal organization you know i mean and in that way uh it, it, he and nikki you know they they both were on that same path where where nikki started from to where he ended it was just like dude yeah. you know for you go from one minute swearing that you'll never be somebody on the corner slinging drugs to just suddenly you know, all but operating the Carter apartments. Like, that's <laughs> like, what are we doing here? You know? And so he, Frank just seemed to think that there was, uh, if he just dipped his toes in a little here and there, that he could, he could pick and choose his involvement and it doesn't work that way. And mm. that naive ideal is ultimately what got him killed because think about it. It's like, uh, uh, 
the Greek and Mondas and the, the the two guys you're you know intimately involved in this operation, they can read newspapers just like you. Why, Why? having seen the fact that you know your face is plastered all over the news, uh, being involved in an FBI investigation. Why would you go see them face to face? What what are you gonna say to them? I mean, I and I get that Nikki encouraged him to do it. And he's thinking, uh-huh. like, oh, I can get Ziggy out of it. Um, my man, your boy murdered somebody in broad daylight in a store Word. and and almost killed somebody else. Like, what are they gonna do? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. so at some point you had to be out for yourself and out for your family and their survival. But again, it's his belief. And some higher ideal that even led him to that pier to begin with, because that was truly stupid. It didn't make yeah. it didn't make any sense for him to trust these people. He just learned their names or their fake names like two weeks ago. Like all of a sudden, you're just like, <laughs> you know what I need to do? Yes, they're gonna help right. me get out of this jail. You are disposable to them. And mm. he wasn't just disposable to the Greeks, he was disposable to society in a lot of ways because people weren't clamoring for the type of work. That he had put his entire livelihood and faith in. It was all. It was over. It was over. It was, yeah, it was over. And he was holding on to something from the past, and he was letting that drive to reach back to the past corrupt his present and his future, and not just his future in terms of him, like the future of the Sabaka name, which is his son and his nephew. So it, it, you couldn't be more right. No, I mean it. it and it's kind of like um, it, it happens to a lot of people. Is that it's the shit that goes on right underneath your nose is the shit that gets you. And yeah, his biggest failure was his failure as a father is that right. he was so wrapped up in trying to create a future for everybody else that he didn't even look at what the hell was happening in his own house. His own home. Yeah. I, I mean, that's where once he started to let that part slip away, the everything else that was happening around him was bound to be destroyed and it that scene that uh, that you alluded to this uh, a moment ago between him and Ziggy in jail is the most honest conversation they probably have with each other the whole series uh, I'm yeah. thinking back to you know that time I think Ziggy was drunk and, and they were somewhere uh, you know along the railroad tracks right by the port and they had a pretty good father-son moment there but this conversation is super honest as Ziggy tells him I got tired of being a pump uh, a punchline um, and when he said the same blood don't flow for us, I wish it did, but it don't. And he's just calling his father on the carpet and saying, your ass wasn't there. My mama pop appeals because your ass ain't there. Like, and Frank finally has to face the fact that his greatest failure is not how shitty his life turned out. It's not even his death. It's that he failed his son repeatedly and was an active participant in doing so. It's a conversation they should have had when Ziggy was 13. It's 10, 15 years too late. It's a conversation that tethered them. And literally, they got two minutes together as father and son. And then you watch the tether being broken as Ziggy is pulled away, walks away, and then has to go live in his new world. His new world is in the shark cage with the rest of the sharks. And I, th- no and I longer- think they did it purposely. Notice how when Ziggy walked in there, he sort of swallowed. He gets engulfed. He gets engulfed, yeah. I think that was very by purposeful. All, he gets engulfed by all of that. All of those guys and all of their aggression and all of that. 
And but before he left, he got one moment to be Frank Sabaka's son and to have that that kind of situation with his dad. And then that's it. It's the last time he'll ever see his father. Powerful scene. Powerful scene. Yeah, I think I'll ultimately, um, beyond just a tragic figure, I think I'll um, remember, you know, Frank Sabaka as as being maybe victim isn't the right word because there's no denying that there was a lot of self-inflicted wounds there. I mean, he he caused this damage uh, himself, but I'll remember him and and it kind of goes with some of the conversations we've been having in the country lately as somebody who found out the hard way that the American dream was fake and it always has been. Mm. Right. And, yeah. and that that American dream only applied to certain people. It did not apply right. to people like him. And he tried everything possible to make that dream fit into his life and to make mm-hmm. uh, to make a, a, a inroad, a pathway for him to make this dream achievable, only to find out in the most horrible way that it was never meant for people like him. Yeah. Yeah. And he and they, you know, he his entire life, he's been told that it was. His entire life, he's been told that there was no need to cut corners, that there were that there was just a need to work hard, to believe in the the many over the few, and to make sacrifices. And he did all of that. And even when he did cut the corners, what he got for that uh, was death. He just couldn't keep up with the way things were moving. So he's a tragic figure in that. Like, look, the wire doesn't really bail you out by giving you the deaths of bad people, but. Almost everybody who dies in the wire fucked up in some way. So, you know, there are a couple of people that catch strays. Um, but even when they die, the people that caught the strays, it's because somebody else fucked up. So Frank Sabaka isn't a bad guy, but at the end of it, he was a fuck up. Right. And Ziggy was a fuck up. And as much as it seemed like Frank wasn't one, he was. Well, the the hard part about some of the deaths, because like you said, they never give you, they give you a few people who are bad and you're like, I ain't mad that motherfucker's gone. Like there's a few people that definitely fit that category. But the other part of it is that even with deaths that stay with us, like say Wallace, you, mm-hmm. everybody kind of has it coming. Everybody kind of mm-hmm. has it coming. Even if you're yep. just like, Damn, I wish they wouldn't go out like that. They kind of didn't deserve it. D'Angelo kind of had it coming, right? D'Angelo definitely had it coming. Let's keep it yeah, real. Yeah, we're keeping it all the way real. It's like he had it coming. Wallace had it coming. And Frank is the same thing. Is that he kind of had this shit coming. So that that's where the whole uh, idea of these more being tragic figures, I think, really has um, strong roots because they're just... Um, people who got swept up in something that was much bigger, much larger, and much more potent mm-hmm. than they actually knew. So, R.I.P. Frank Sabaka. You was a real Rip. one, I guess. <laughs> hey, bro. I wish I knew some kind of like Polish, like, you know, funeral song or something like that that I could sing for Frank Sabaka, man, because he was one of Poland's best. You know what I'm saying? And if right now, if there is such a song, Maybe our producer, Jim, can just put it in there. Just give us five or ten seconds as I talk right now. For Frank Sabaka, you were a big Polish sausage of a man. And now you're gone to that big kielbasa in the sky. Is that the only Polish Polish food you know, man? 
I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm a fan I don't like know you what, only know Polish sausage. I don't like, know what I'm talking about, <laughs> okay. man. I have no clue. There's a place around the corner. It's called Wurstkirsch, and they got sausages, but I think those are German. So I don't really know what the hell I'm talking you know, about, but I just wanted to say goodbye to there's Frank. There's pierogies. Pierogi. I've, I've heard of the pierogi Pierogies, all right. Uh, there's a whole Polish community in Detroit. People do not know this, but there is. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a little familiar with Polish food. Uh, we also have... Is pierogi good? Pierogies are good. We also have something called punchkis. Um, these are donuts and they are fantastic. Okay. And they and have donuts. punchki day in, um, in Detroit. Little fun fact, you know, even though Detroit obviously is a black city, it's very multi-ethnic. So we have a Polish section in Detroit. It's called Hamtramck. We have a Greek section. Greek. Oh, Hamtramck. Yes. Hamtramck, Michigan. I know about Hamtramck. Hamtramck is like, uh, that girl, Tiny Jag is from Hamtramck. I don't know who that is, but she's a, remember she was the real quick. Uh, Van Lathan sidebar. Tiny Jag was the the artist that said she wouldn't perform at the festival in Detroit because remember it was ten dollars more to get in if you were white. Oh, this? I think I vaguely remember this, but I did not. Yeah, remember and the then name. I had her. I had her on a podcast, and she was telling me I was like, you know, it should be fifty dollars more. But no, uh, but 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 no, she. Yeah, she's from Hamtramck. Yes. She's from Hamtramck. Yes. Yeah. So Hamtramck, a, a very strong uh, a Polish community in Detroit. So everybody celebrates Puszczki Day, um, and we just gorge ourselves with these incredible jelly-filled donuts. These are they're good. These are unbelievable. So yes, I highly advise. I highly advise it. So uh, this weekend I'm gonna have a puchki for my boy Frank Sabaka. There you go. That's better than just right. saying kibasa. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. In terms of best scenes in this episode, man, we both talked about the jail scene that we both love. Uh, any others that stuck out for you in this one? Okay, that's clearly the best scene to me. However, there are other scenes. The scene when Stringer and Omar talk. Is a fantastic scene um, just to see how Stringer uses his diabolical criminal genius mind. It's a criminal genius. Yeah, his diabolical econ 101 mind. So he is the Lex <laughs> Luthor of the hood. <laughs> the finest criminal mind available, as Gene Hackman said in Superman 1. Lex Luthor, the finest criminal mind. That's who If Stringer that's the Bell finest is. criminal mind the hood got to offer, <laughs> y'all in trouble. That's all I got to say. Y'all are in um, trouble. Also, the scene with Frank and his brother, where Frank's brother kind of runs it down to him. That's his reality, kind of keeps it real with him. Uh, and I'll, I'll obviously, um, the scene when uh, Omar finally takes on Brother Muzon. Great scene. Um, a fantastic scene. Now, the what I liked about that, that scene with Omar and Brother Muzon, Omar never really believed Stringer 100%. Because if he did, he would have just finished Brother Muzon. It was interesting that he chose to shoot him. Well, he shot him because I know he wanted to torture him a little bit. But the fact that he kind of was engaging in a conversation showed that he wanted to kind of get to the bottom of this. He doesn't. He fundamentally doesn't trust Stringer Bell. He, He had to check it out because maybe it was true. This is where 
Omar and Brother Muzan a little different. Omar is emotional. Omar was in love with Brandon. He said Brandon was beautiful and he messed it up. He owed it to Brandon to go see if what Omar, if what Stringer was saying was the truth. But the moment that Brother Muzan says to him, yo, what are you waiting for? Finish it. If Omar was sure, he's a dead man. But he wasn't sure. And he wanted to kind of get it off of his chest and see how he was going to play it. And in that scene, there was no reason not to believe him. So that shows you a lot about those guys, two characters. And there is a interesting file this away for later moment in that scene that I noticed in the watch. And I'm going to talk about it in a second. But that's the second best scene. And the first one is uh, Nikki and his dad. That's, I mean, Ziggy and his My dad. friends is what we call a tease in this business. Yo! Hotel Van, he ain't a true professional. Um, <laughs> another good scene, I thought, uh, was the the scene between Frank Sabaka and his political operative, Brucey. Oh, I love that one. Uh, when he says, uh, know what the trouble is, Brucey? We used to make shit in this country, build shit. Mm-hmm. Now we just put our hand in the next guy's pocket. Say that, mm-hmm. Frank Sabaka. Say that. Might Word be the up. wisest thing you said this whole fucking series. <laughs> or this yeah. whole season, I should say. Because uh, mm-hmm. that was a pretty good one. The other uh, the other thing um, that I like about that Stringer-Omar uh, conversation, too, is that, you know, Omar, he is so unapologetic about his brashness. And he is wants Stringer to know that I have spent a lot of time thinking about how I was going to kill your ass and about how you really can never make this right. And I wondered when he confronted Brother Muzon if he thought to himself, if he was looking for more reasons to kind of violate the the tenuous truce that he had with Stringer. Like if Brother Muzon had said anywhere, let's say he, if he was really behind what happened to Brandon, yeah, I gouged his eyes out. Yeah, I put some cigarette butts out on him. But Stringer suggested it. Like, Omar don't need much to, like, go back. Like, he was looking for a reason to kill Stringer Bell. And I think he was kind of hoping that Brother Muzon would would give him one. Now, he will ultimately have given him a great one. But I think that's why it was a little more conversation when you notice how everybody else that he kills, he generally is pretty straightforward about it. Although, I mean, there have been times where, you know, depending on the charity of his mood, where Omar will, he'll give you a beat. You know what I'm saying? Oh, he'll yeah, yeah, he'll <laughs> he let you beat. get it off your chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what what I loved about the scene between Omar and Stringer was Stringer was really laying it on his seedy distrustfulness. He was lean to the side. First of all, he said the N word with the hard er. I don't know if he tried <laughs> to do that or because by that. the way, by the way, that happens to Idris. Like that 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 happens to Idris. Like because Idris is not from here, so like Idris every once in a while. It just drops a hard ER, and in the current climate, you're like, God damn, dog. It's like a stung. <laughs> like, well, like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, like, cause he says, cause he says it when he says it to uh to, to Omar, he says with the ER, I'm like, ooh, ooh, no. Like, like, no, we don't need that coming from Liverpool or Brixton or wherever you're from. Like, you know, um, but nah, and in that scene, like, you know, like I said, he leaning to the side, he's his eyes are all low. Yeah, was it that wasn't us who did it? Blah 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 blah. But Omar goes for it. Omar goes for it because just like um Omar wants to believe it, 
he wants to believe that somebody else is responsible for what happened to Brandy. He wants to believe that there's somebody else he can inflict that pain on. Uh, so he does until he does it. Another great scene is my man, Captain Petty, Petty Pendergrass, Petty Murphy, uh, Stan Valchek, who is, yes. who is yeah. the worst. He's one of the worst people, okay? He gets the arrest he wanted. Make sure he's there to slap the cuffs on, on Frank Sabaka. And then he humiliates him with a perp walk because he clearly called the yeah. media <laughs> so, that, mm-hmm. so that Frank Sabaka's name and face and picture would be everywhere. And he is just in his glory of pettiness that... Pats him on the back. Yeah, even. pats him on the back. And, and he's just so proud of himself that the guy who usurped him in their stained glass infighting... Yeah, He's like that's what it's all, all, this st- over a all this fucking awesome window. Over a window. That's what Bro, all this over was about. A window. Valchek killed Ziggy. Well, maybe that would still happen, but like, but all of this stuff over a window. Everybody lost because of a window, man. That's crazy shit. Because of the most pettiest shit of all time. I once had a it's friend, and his dad did a perp walk. Yeah, we saw it. Like, we were in college. <clears throat> we were in college. Let's just tell you how fucked up my crew is. Van Lathan sidebar of the episode number two. I tell you, I... <laughs> we're going to start keeping track of a, a number of these. I'm here for every Van Lathan sa- sidebar, is. by the way. We're inside and we're watching the TV. It's like noon, right? And they're about to, uh, they're like, the, the, they're, they're giving you, it's like, it's not noon, it's like 11.50. They're giving you the what's about to happen on like, the news at noon and they go blah 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 is being let out of blah 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 and this our friend's dad and he's doing a perp walk being drugged into a police station with cameras on him by cops okay for being involved in some kind of political corruption or something like that right and so I'm at my uh, our other homeboy's house we're all in the same crew what do you think our first reaction to knowing that our homie was going to be on the news at 12, that his dad was going to be on the news was? What do you think our first reaction was? Hmm, what was your first reaction? Uh, was it more, I don't know if pride is the right word, was like, yo, he going to be on TV type of reaction? And to put it into the VCR so that we could tape this, <laughs> so that this moment would be preserved for forever. For just, Just forever. Like I would never forget, and this person knows who he is. He's a very prominent activist now. Walks to the room and comes back out with the tape and with a smile on his face, tapes it. And I was like, I'm telling you, if a nigga ever get out of line, we got something. I'm like, it's so... <laughs> You'd be like, so bring out funny. the tape. So funny. But yes, perp walks, knowing a family that's been on the other side of a perp walk, Perp walks are incredibly embarrassing and destructive, not only to the people, but to their family as well. And we still got that tape. Well, uh, and for those keeping score at home, um, Van likes it when dogs are punted. (laughs) And he also likes to see his friends humiliated by the criminal justice system. Just so so we're clear about where Van stands on the issues. Just make sure you keep up. A <laughs> um, lot of good. File this away for later moments in this one. Um, you know, I, I, I think we we talked a lot about how that Stringer Omar 
brother moves on, triangle becomes basically the setup uh, for season three. And mm-hmm. the culmination of, of all of that kind of goes down, you know, and, and Valchek's, uh, you know, kind of pettiness, um, you know, that uh, uh, let's just say that Stan Valchek does not cease to be petty as this series goes on. He continues his petty. He, he continues his 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 petty, um, you know, moments. I uh, just wanted to double check to make sure you had uh, if you had any more file this away for later moments that we may have missed, Bam. I'm going to file this away for a later moment that I just noticed. I told you this. When Omar shoots Brother Muzon and then calls the 911 to have them come get Brother Muzon, it is very reminiscent of a future character in The Wire and something that he is legendary for. There is a character in the future of this show that is legendary for having shot a man and then call the police or the ambulance to have them come get the man that he just shot. Mm. Now, he does it in a much more brazen way. Mm. We're going to meet this guy very soon. Mm. And, And the first time we see this is when Omar does it. Omar does it, and then this guy is legendary for doing it. Next season, we meet him. Oh, yeah. That's a tease, ladies and gentlemen. One particular thing I thought aged the best as we move on to that. My man, White Mike, ordering two hot dogs Mm. and a strawberry soda. Hook a brother up might have been the funniest line of this whole episode. Love it. Strawberry soda. I imagine that's what heaven feels like. Strawberry soda is so freaking good. It's so good, man. See, the, the, the problem with strawberry soda is that it's too good. How could something that, that, be too good? Because it makes you question everything, right? So like you like when you go, so so you go to Popeyes, right? And you go to Popeyes. So you've had a good week. You've been eating salmon. You've been doing all of this running around. Today I had salmon, black rice, and all of that stuff right there. So I'm doing my thing. Then you'll go to Popeyes and you'll get like a three-piece with a strawberry soda. And you'll be like, you maybe I should just say fuck it. Cause I could do this every day. You know what I mean? You'll be like, you'll be like, maybe I could do this. I, this could be my life every day. Now, eventually, that's gonna catch up with you. But until it does, you live in the the real way. And strawberry soda is the kicker. It's like, ooh, wa- what's water? You think it's like, what water? Why would I need that? This got water in it. But it's like, yeah, I, I'm with White Mike on that. That uh, we, we have a kinship because of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and the fact that uh, he, I love everybody's food orders. They're so different in the interrogation room, right? You know, we mm-hmm. had, we, well, we Bay had the tri-tip sandwich. I think that's what it was. He had the pit beef. Pit beef, sorry. Pit beef, mm-hmm. not tri-tip. Uh, he had mm-hmm. the pit beef sandwich. Got White Mike with the two hot dogs and the strawberry soda. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and, and really keep track of what these food orders look like in there. I think Wallace yeah. just raided the vending machine. I think that was all he got. <laughs> Wallace went to a vending machine. They they gave another kid. He wasn't really being interrogated, but the, interrogated. But they, they gave the kid the uh, with the kid that pressed hit, hit in the face, the right? Tea, the yep. tea and the Reese's. Yeah, you know what I mean, the, like tea Reese's because they had to order Reese's. extra hard tea in the can, tea in the can. can. <laughs> right. Uh, anything aged the best to you in this one? Uh, you know what? I had problems finding uh, what aged the best uh, in this particular episode. Um. I had something, but it was kind of lame. But if I have a lame one, I just kind of let it go. For really, what aged the best and aged the worst to me 
uh, in this episode. I have this episode was so weighty that I couldn't really see through it to get to this category right here. So uh, I failed the viewers on what age the best and what age the worst here. Although, if I'm thinking about it on the fly, what did age the best? I think that I've done this before is daddy issues. Fathers and sons not yeah. being able to communicate. It was really at a boiling point in this one, though. The daddy yeah, issues, yeah. Know? You had it both ways. Fathers disappointing their sons. Sons disappointing their fathers. You know why? Because it's very hard for men to be honest with one another about their feelings. You know what I mean? And so because of that, you see a lot of issues like this between father, fathers and sons. That definitely aged the best. Shit, I'm going through that. <laughs> that, that, that. That definitely aged the best. Now, as far as a Stringer Bell fuckboy moment. No, here we go. I mean, come on. You, you know, I, look, the community, that's his nickname, by the way. I'm going to call him CCM for Community College Mastermind. <laughs> All right. Okay. He has stupidly brought together Brother Muzon and Omar, right? His mistake. Ooh, that's a good one. His mistake, as always, is the same one he continues to commit. Oh, my God. Is that he always thinks he's smarter than the people he's dealing with. Um, That's a good one. Omar has definitely shown that ain't the case. And considering that Omar has every reason not to trust this fool, why would he think he just going to buy the story that somebody else was responsible for what happened to to Brandon? So he has brought together... Mm. You know, this is kind of like when Superman and Batman came together. First, they was beefed out. Then uh-huh. they came together. And it was like, you done brought Superman and Batman together, man. This is on you. These two mm. dudes would never have crossed paths if not for this idiot coming up with this plan because he didn't know how to sweet talk Avon into taking the Prop Joe deal. So he's gone the extra backdoor route to make sure that it happens. And now he's got an even bigger problem on his hand. Because he's going to combine two forces that mm. he don't want them problems. But he got him, yeah. Mr. Mastermind. Mm. So you the can't even defend I, your boy. I can't. The only time I could think about someone introducing somebody else to somebody that became this disastrous, I'm going to take you guys back to the 70s, okay, real quick. In the 70s, there was a really handsome lead actor named Ryan O'Neill. Ryan O'Neill was in everything. Ryan O'Neill was in Love Story. He was handsome. He was like, I don't know. The Ryan Gosling of the 70s. There was another guy in the 70s. His name was Lee Majors. Okay, he was the $6 million man. Lee, Lee Majors had the baddest chick in the world, Farrah Fawcett. The baddest chick in the world. You guys might have seen the, even now, because, you know, sometimes when you look back at people from the 70s, you go, they don't, they're not, they don't look good. What are you talking about? Like, that doesn't look good to me. But if you look at that Farrah Fawcett fo- uh, poster now, she's still first team all white girl. She still is. You know what I'm saying? Like she, It's just like you look at the poster now, you're like, damn. Bet you guys didn't know that Farrah Fawcett was with Lee Majors. Lee Majors had to go out of town, and he told his friend Ryan O'Neal, mm. the Ryan Gosling of the 70s, he said, yo, while I'm gone, why don't you take Farrah around, make sure she isn't lonely? Well, boys and girls, what do you think happened? Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett said, fuck you, Lee Majors. And they got together and literally... like the it couple. They stayed together until she unfortunately passed away some years ago. But that is exactly what Avon... Excuse me, what Stringer did. He introduced Farrah Fawcett 
to Ryan O'Neal, and it's not going to end up working out well for him. Ah, uh, just such a tragic story. But you know who? What really is the blame in that? Uh, in that uh, Fair Fawcett story and Lee Majors is patriarchy. Patriarchy is really a fault because why would you need a, another man to keep the company of, of your girl? Yeah. Why? Because probably because yeah. you want to keep he tabs on her. You want to keep an eye on her. Yeah. You want to make sure she ain't having a little too much fun while you gone. Mm-hmm. And so you let patriarchy come in. And guess what? Yep. Patriarchy stole your girl. Too bad. Ryan O'Neill gave her that Ryan O dick. And I was. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Rest in peace, Farrah Fawcett. Wild. Beautiful lady. Beautiful I, lady. Yes, she was. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Stringer Bell. Oh, well, sealed your own fate with that one. <laughs> That's yep. all I got to say. As for trivia. So hmm. when Sabaka does that perp walk, Ooh. a reporter yells, is it you or the whole union? That reporter is David Simon. <laughs> oh, that's great. David Simon. I love a little shit like that. Yeah. Making an appearance in this mm-hmm. episode of The Wire. So um, finally, we reached the moment of true van. Who won this episode? This was one of the toughest ones for me. It's tough. It is hard. About who who won this episode. Uh, I went through a lot of different characters. Uh, I gave it to Zig last episode. But I'm going to say for this episode, I have to, in a parting shot, be on the nose again. Call me on the nose, Van. Uh, I think Frank Sabaka won this episode. And I'll tell you why. There was one thing. Despite that the had fact Frank- he, has, he has walked under the bridge. Into the heavens. <laughs> I, I tell you one, there, there's one thing. Uh, I'm a sucker for some desperation. And when Frank Sabaka goes and works on somebody else's card just to feel like he is a part of the union again, um, that little sequence, that little thing that he did, that shows me so much about the lack of control and what the character really had lost. Um, that when Frank walks towards... Uh, the Greek at the end of the bridge. It's not just him walking. It's a whole way of life that is walking with him. That walk, like they're, they're not just killing him. They're killing the port. And by the way, that statement, killing the port is going to come up later on in the series. You're going to hear somebody say that. And the port died when Frank Sabaka died. So because of this, I'm going to give him the win. All right. And a tragic win. to, uh, that that Polish Superman, <laughs> Frank mm. Sabaka. Yeah. Uh, for me, who won the episode was Omar. Omar won mm. the episode. Omar. Uh, because, you know, he has, this is now, we're going almost into three seasons where he has tried to avenge what happened to Brandon. And this yeah. is the introduction to Brother Muzon finally gets him closer to, or as close as he's ever going to get to the revenge that he seeks about who was really responsible, um, you know, for mm. his death. So, I mean, I could say in a combined way, him and Brother Muzon won because here you have two guys who believe in a certain order. They believe in a certain code and their code has been violated in in the most egregious way. And because of that, heads will roll. And so Omar yeah. wins because he's finally putting the pieces together as to who is behind not just Brandon's uh, murder, but who is trying to, um, you know, ba- I mean, he understands that the Barkdales are kind of his, his sworn and natural enemy, but he has even more incentive to hate him. So 
I am all for this, just especially because it just sets up season three so incredibly well. I'm right. already excited thinking about season three. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for us. Thank you for hanging out with us. Um, uh, continue to send us feedback. We really appreciate all the support that you've shown uh, way down in the hole. We've enjoyed watching this with you. And as always, keep listening to us and keep watching The Wire. We will see you again next time. 